everybody out there. It's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes into all the things, places, concepts, and stuff from the galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac. I'm one of your hosts today. And in fact, I'm going to be your only host today. My normal co-host, Ross, is out on assignment, so he will not be able to join us today. Um, he's out and about and having a really good time from everything I saw on social media. So I uh, wish him all the best. But we don't want you to lose another week of Star Wars just because we're not available, so we're going to have myself record an episode ahead of time so that you can listen in and get another Wednesday dose of Star Wars all in. Because I'm by myself, we're going to focus on topics that, to be blunt, only really involve me, stuff that I care about to a degree, or more importantly, stuff that I have a lot to say about that my co-host may not. Um... And we're going to do that by talking about two great topics, I think. I'm going to be reminiscing and sort of having a meditation here on Star Wars Galaxy, the first massively multiplayer online role-playing game in set in the Star Wars universe. And what I would argue is the first time you could really go and see what it was like to live at a ground level in the Star Wars universe. And so we'll talk about that for probably about 40 minutes or so, and then we're going to move on to me talking a little bit about the dark times. So for about 20 minutes, I'm going to give you a sort of run-up of my Star Wars youth and what it was like to grow up when Star Wars wasn't the hot brand that it is now. What was it like when Star Wars was a smaller more limited niche thing and there wasn't nearly as much merchandise or content being produced for it. Um, so I'm going to talk to you about that and I hope you enjoy that. I think that's all the preamble we really need. You're going to be just hearing me drone on. So if you don't listen to my voice, now's the time to escape. But otherwise, we're going to get started right after this. Star Wars Saga has captured generations. Fans worldwide have always enjoyed becoming a part of the adventure. But what if you could turn on your PC, connect to the internet, and completely immerse yourself in an online Star Wars universe filled with hundreds of thousands of people? Now you can. Star Wars Galaxies, the total experience. You can live the adventure 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Become a Jedi, a bounty hunter, a rebel commando, or one of over 30 different professions. Make friends and meet new people as you embark on hundreds of story-driven missions to help save the galaxy from the forces of the dark side. Or maybe create a dark side of your own. Then blast into the skies and engage your enemies in real-time dogfights. Or take your friends for a ride in over 30 different starships, including Millennium Falcon-style transports. Build and run your own player cities. Create your own weapons and ships. Or even visit legendary Star Wars locations like Jabba's Palace and the Mos Eisley Cantina. Ground. Space, and for the first time ever, content from the highly anticipated final film, Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Travel to Kashyyyk, the home planet of the Wookiees, and join in on over 100 new Episode 3 adventures. Everything you need to fulfill your ultimate Star Wars fantasy 
is now together in one package. Look for it at a new low price of $29.95. Buy now and get an exclusive in-game vehicle only available with purchase. Star Wars Galaxies, the total experience. Your online adventure in the Star Wars universe awaits. Available May 26th. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to actually live in Star Wars? Well, I guess you don't have to wonder about that too much. If you are part of the world, I guess you just go and check out Galaxy's Edge. That's pretty much what it's like to live in Star Wars. But we didn't always have Galaxy's Edge. And if you're listening to this in the current time period, you can't really go to Galaxy's Edge right now. So what could you do to fulfill that fantasy? Well, there were books and comic books and we had video games. You could always rewatch the movies, but there wasn't really a way to live in Star Wars, to just be an everyman in the galaxy far, far away. Well, at least until 2003. What we're going to be talking about here is give a little bit of a personal meditation on Star Wars Galaxies. Star Wars Galaxies was a massively multiplayer online role-playing game that came out in 2003, right around spring, I think April it was. And the thing about Galaxies was it cut a little bit of a different cloth from other games that were coming out at the time. So what we would consider an MORPG, or Massively Multiplayer Online Role-Playing Game, was different back then. This is before World of Warcraft sort of set the gold standard for what we would think for these types of games. This was before EverQuest took its second crack at the whole problem. This is before games like even um, Final Fantasy XIV, which is a long-running game, was out. No, this is back what some people would consider the second generation of these types of games. There were always the idea of creating these shared universes on computers since the earliest days of computers, whether they were things like um, systems that you could play games like Colossal Cave Adventures, this constantly expanding maze that you could explore through text, or whether it was later day when you started having the internet and MUDs, um, MUD, which is a multi-user dungeon, which basically meant you could play sort of Dungeons and Dragons online and people would create NPCs and stores and it's sort of the genesis of role-playing games in the computer sense. People have been doing these all the time, but at least from my experience, I never really knew of any of them until you get to the late, late 90s where games like Ultima Online come into my world. I had friends who were much more internet savvy, lived in chat room, rooms, built their own websites, I had the internet at a fairly young age and fairly ahead of the curve of most people, but I still never, I guess, socialized out there. That was never really what I wanted to do with the internet. I just wanted to consume and sponge in as much information as I possibly could. That was my goal. But for a lot of folks, uh, what they wanted out of it was the ability to connect with people, um, enjoy things, play games. Uh, Ultima Online was based on the Ultima series, which was a long-running game series, uh, even at that time. 
And the idea was to take essentially the engine of their previous Ultima game and put it in a place where more than one user could access that world at the same time. The world would be stored on a server that everyone could go and have access to. And as you ran around on your adventures, you could bump into other people. And eventually that led to trading, going on quests together, and all kinds of different things. And I had some friends who were very into that. Uh, those same friends eventually all sort of banded together as one when a bigger game experience came out, which was EverQuest. For me and my friends, EverQuest is where this took root. EverQuest was a 3D game, whereas Ultima Online was isometric. You could see the world from one bird's eye vantage point. EverQuest was running around with something that was akin to at the time game graphics, maybe a little bit primitive, but you were trading in that that primitive look for the fact that you had vast, huge lands to explore. And I had a bunch of friends who definitely got lost in EverQuest and its massiveness. Now I never got into EverQuest. In fact, I don't even think I ever I don't think I, I watched people play it. I don't think I ever played it myself. And the reason was because again, I didn't I, I hung out with my friends playing D&D on the weekends. I didn't need to play D&D online. I already had that figured out in my my life. I was playing Dungeons and Dragons and I was playing Thieves. I didn't need to play a virtual thief. Um, but for a long time, my friends really got into it. And really, it showed me that there was a community of people out there. But one thing that kind of set Star Wars Galaxy apart when it came onto the scene from the makers of EverQuest in 2003 was Star Wars' whole goal was to give you the chance to live in the Star Wars galaxy. There were not going to be any Jedi or Sith, at least none you could play. And the places you were going to go was the planets we had heard about in Star Wars. Sure, there was like Tatooine, but there was also planets you'd heard of but never been to like Corellia. And the entire goal was you would go in there and live whatever life you wanted to live based on the game's mechanics. Here, let me read you one thing here. This is how we all sort of got our initial introduction to it. And when it launched in 2003, it had an opening crawl, as is tradition with Star Wars. And it read like this. It is the height of the galactic civil war. Although Rebel Alliance has destroyed the dreaded Death Star, the Emperor still holds thousands of systems in his grip. Throughout the galaxy, brave adventurers struggle to restore peace while smugglers, bounty hunters, and crime lords prosper amongst the chaos. Meanwhile, in the outer rim of the galaxy, one of Darth Vader's Imperial-class Star Destroyers has captured a passenger freighter on a suspicion of harboring criminals. And that's kind of where you started. You start on that ship. And it kind of goes through a tutorial where you sort of get yourself up and running, you learn about how the game's mechanics list, and then you end up on one of the planets out there. Um, for me and my friends, we got really excited about it because they were a lot of them were really into all these Memorpurgers, these MORPG-style games, and I was excited to have a crew to go in. In fact, when we read about all the pre-release information, it talked about the fact you could form companies, you could band together as groups, and eventually they would allow you to do things like build cities and outposts. And for us, we got it in our head that we form a company. And what better kind of company would you possibly run than, you know, a freighter business? 
you know, run your own Millennium Falcon from port to port moving product around. That was our plan. Didn't go exactly well, but let me tell you a little bit about the history of Corellia Star Trade Limited. All right, so a bunch of my friends get together. It's like the first weekend or week or so of this game, and we start kind of going on our own path, just kind of getting to know the game. The thing about the game was when you started it out, you created a character from one of a number of different races. And unlike a lot of games at the time, you actually had a lot more say in what your character looked like. Often you'd pick their head and stuff and then the bodies would all be generic. So all the equipment that would be scattered throughout the game would just be easier to create from the sense of the creators of the game. They could just bolt it onto anybody and you'd eventually collect equipment that made your character look unique. This had a full character creator. You could make your character slightly tall, slightly small, small, different faces, different textures, different weights, um, different skin tones, hair colors, all that kind of stuff. I created just a kind of vanilla human uh, named Kayan Lightweaver, if I remember my name right. And my whole job was I was going to go in and I was going to be sort of our um, inventory guy. My job was going to be like keeping track of all of the stuff, not necessarily the books, not trying to figure out how we maximize our money. We had another friend who was going to do that. But my job was going to be like running our warehouse, for lack of a better term. Um, and when you get into the game, that's what you could do. You could become a doctor. You could become a tailor, a armor smith, weapon smith, you could get into all kinds of different crafting stuff. And my thing is I sort of ended up being our tailor armorer is what kind of class I pursued. Um, and it was really neat because the goal of the game was while there was a thing like a galactic bazaar where you could sell different stuff and the game's maker would populate that, the idea was mostly to eventually make it that almost everything that was running around in the galaxy was created by players. So if you bought a pair of shoes, that pair of shoes was probably built by a player. And that was true of especially any items beyond really basic stuff because no one could create it except for players. Um, so within a few weeks, we actually had a, a kiosk where we could sell stuff. So I was making clothes and shoes and the limited armor I could build at the time. Another friend was starting to work on guns. There was one of our friends who did all of our mining. So went out into this vast open worlds and started putting down hoppers, these machines that would like... Um, basically mine for stuff or they would gather chemicals or moisture or you could also start doing things like growing things starting with livestock there was bakers and um things like that and you could do all kinds of crazy stuff and what was really neat about the early days of, of star wars galaxy was everyone was in it together if you wanted to get like the best gun then you need to start helping the gunsmith grind through their class so they could build more stuff for you. And so depending on what server you were on, because there was multiple instances of this giant galaxy, you would form alliances. And I don't think more than any other game I've ever played did I feel that in the years I played Star Wars Galaxy, a sense of community. The idea that all of us were working together towards somewhat common goals, right? We all wanted the game to get bigger. We all wanted to access to more stuff, which meant there was somewhat a support network. Uh, I don't think you could see this any more obviously than in the uh, various medical centers around the settlements. So if you went out there and you, say, fought a, I don't know, um, 
a cry at dragon and you got really dinged up, you would, because of Star Wars, you would need to go get healed. You could use some back to ointments and stuff like that to heal yourself to a degree. But often if you actually got deeply injured, you'd have to have a doctor take care of you. And it was always tradition. You'd walk up to a medical bay and basically the docs would all be there. All of them, except for one droid, would be human players. And they would generally heal you on the cheap, if not free, because you gave them experience. Because every person they healed made them a better doctor. Um, now, tradition was, you know, you'd usually thank them in some way, whether that was a trade or money or at least, you know, acknowledging the thank you or offering them something in the future. And it felt like a community. It felt like, you know, I got to remember... Um, uh, I think his name was Marlon. I remember there was a doc that we we became pretty good friends with that we just kept meeting up with um, because he just seemed to be on when we were on and he was the guy who patched us all the time. And we eventually got into kind of a thing where he would almost always heal us for free and we would give him stuff for free, prig quo quo. Um, and it worked out really well. And again, it started making that relationship. Now, another thing I do want to mention is this is 2003. So... While voice communication is possible, um, there were services um, that would eventually come down that would make this all easy. Um, th there's a number of ones. I'm not going to go through all that list. A lot of people would now, in today's world, might be familiar with Discord, the idea of this centralized place where all your communications were happening. Well, we didn't really have that in 2003, at least not in a meaningful way. Voice over internet was still kind of a novelty and most people didn't have the bandwidth because you have to remember this is 2003. The majority of people are still connecting to this usually on dial-up or early broadband. Um, you know, you weren't throwing a lot of data through this machine. Um, so for us, we would usually either um, be texting each other, like communicating in the in-games communication system, which means you could do things like shouts and yells where you were talking to everyone around you within a proximity of quote unquote how far your, far your voice would carry, and that was all text, or whispers where you were talking to individual players or uh, individual groups, like we had a group channel inside the game. Or we would also just be on the phone, on our cell phones, talking to each other while we played. Or what would also come and happen is two or three of us in the same room because we'd bring our laptops to the same house and you know spend a night playing together while we were kind of doing our own things. We could talk to each other. Um, so community was a different sense. You never got an idea of like if you're working with someone... You know, were they uh, a guy or a gal? Were they from America? Were they from Europe? You, you had no real idea. Um, and it kind of made it a lot more role play. It felt like we were the characters we were because there wasn't any voice to disrupt that. And at least the server we played on, most people were RP friendly, meaning that for the most part, if you were talking as your character, so you were yelling, shouting, or speaking, you talked as if you were your character, and you would use back channels or whispers to kind of reveal stuff as player to player. Um, and we hung out on Corellia, and our whole goal was, again, to establish a business, start making tons of money, and start preparing for the upcoming expansions, because... 
there were no ships at the beginning of Star Wars Galaxies. You could get from planet to planet or from different parts of a planet on what was uh, known as the space bus or the intergalactic space bus. Um, basically, if you were on, say, Corellia, there would be Corellia's capital of Coronet. And if you went to Coronet, you could take either a space bus or a, I don't know what they call it, planetary transport to go to other cities that were on Corellia. Or you could take the intergalactic space bus, a um, galactic or, yeah, I think galactic transport, which would basically, you would pay some money. Um, I think they were usually scheduled, like they would leave every like 10 or 15 minutes. And you could take that to other places. Um, you could go to all the kind of different planets. And at least at the beginning, I don't think you could go one to everyone. Like, so Corellia, which is a pretty connected world in the core worlds, you could go to most places. But like when you got to Tatooine, I don't think you could get off Tatooine to everyone. There might be a ship to Corellia and maybe Alderaan and Yavin 4, but you couldn't go everywhere because of there were trade routes and stuff like that, uh, if memory serves me correctly. And so that's how you got around. And it was common to go bounce around and check out different places. In fact, by the end of the game, I played it for maybe about three years. Um, that was what I spent most of my time doing was exploring, just going to see the Masasi um, temples of Yavin 4, or going and seeing Jabba's palace on Tatooine, or heading out and checking out the various characters you could meet. Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, Leia, um, and even other characters like Prince Shizor and... Um, uh, characters from the video games like the, the main characters of Star... Um, uh, Star Wars Starfighter, which was uh, a game that was very popular at, at that time. Um, some of the characters from that you could go and meet. Um, and it was really cool because you could meet them because they were out and about in the galaxy trying to build up the rebellion because this is set in the immediate aftermath of the Death Star's destruction. So the world is kind of realizing that Imperial might is not, you know, unlimited. And they're also finding out that there are people like like you could be that character who says, I want to fight the Empire. I don't like the Empire. I hate it. I want to fight it. And you could start getting rebel missions. Or you could be a loyalist, a, a, a you know supporter of the Emperor and the Empire and the rule of law and all the other things like that. And you could help the boys in white, the stormtroopers, with keeping law. Because while the game, like most MRPGs, had guards, in this case, stormtroopers generally, though there were some planets that were not controlled by the Empire, their whole goal was if players started doing bad things, they would, you know, try to detain them or kill them. Um, but it's an MRPG, so if you die, then that usually just means you're set back. You have to go and, you know, do a few things to get yourself back up and right. No one really dies. In fact, the conceit of it was a little weird which was the idea that you could have cloning chambers so basically if you died you could come back to life at a medical center if you had paid for paid for like a cloning permit um but the thing with this was it felt alive so we're all playing general tradesmen out there in the galaxy like i said there are no jedi there's rumors that Jedis are going to be patched into the game and that there are like holocrons that someone's seen. And then you're hearing rumors of people with red blades, you know, um, 
lightsabers that they saw. Like, oh, I was out there fighting some monster and some stormtroopers came came and they were led by a guy in black with a, a red lightsaber. I have no idea who it was. He was there and he was gone. You know, it was rumor and hearsay and the early internet trying to piece together what might be going on and under the hood of the game. And then you'd wait for the expansions to come out. And the first one I remember was called Imperial Crackdown. Now, Imperial Crackdown represented the fact that now that all these people are starting to get together and starting to go rah-rah rebellion, the Empire decides to have a show of force to reign in order again. So a number of things got to be uh, made illegal, and a lot of things were made so that the things that were already illegal, like some forms of spice and some illegal weapons, were made doubly so. So you could be, you know, near a stormtrooper and they would do a uh, check on you to see if you had any contraband on you. And that could really, really ruin your day. The other thing that happened was for the rebels, you started seeing and hearing the Remember Alderaan and would see propaganda posters for Remembering Alderaan as basically the undercurrent of galactic civilization starts sinking that, you know, um, Alderaan was an inside job. It wasn't a mining accident. No, no, no. It was actually, in fact, the empire that caused it. Um, and it was just cool because the entire world moved forward. It felt like the universe was changing. And that Alderaan storyline would sort of weave its way through uh, most of the game when I was there. Um, essentially just crafting this idea of the rebels using Alderaan as the ultimate propaganda piece to show how cruel the Empire is and start rallying people. And so by the time that we were, you know, going into, I guess that was maybe the first year or so after some of this stuff had come out, you started feeling that there were battle zones where, you know, Imperials and rebels were having shootouts and fights and those battle zones were getting closer and closer to settlements and they were less ignorable if you were on a person versus person server, a PVP. Um, and it just made the world feel alive. Now, as the game got going, my friends and I sort of started getting a little disillusioned. Some of my friends were very heavy into these games. I was not one, so I ended up sort of being pretty casual. Um, so I mostly benefited from my early investment in our company, and I wasn't contributing back to it nearly as much as some of these guys who were, you know, they were spending three or four nights up all night doing, you know, different grinds to get stuff going. I, I found the whole grind very exhausting, and I was just starting to get to the point of being frustrated with the fact of like, it just seemed like I was getting so far behind levels for my friends that we couldn't always go do the same tasks and stuff, and... I thought levels in general took away from the feel of Star Wars. Like, you know, it made sense I would keep becoming a better and better tailor. But as far as fighting monsters, like, human is a human is a human is a human. You might be able to attack it and destroy it better as you get better with weapons, but it stopped making sense that, like, you know, th that someone could one-shot a really powerful beast and it would take me, you know, 500 shots to get the same effect. It just started feeling gamey. Um, 
but some other things were coming out that made it feel better, like the fact there were settlements. You could start an outpost, and if you had an outpost, you could get other people to come and join your outpost, and you could have votes for who was running it and had privileges. And it was kind of crazy because at this time, this was mirroring the communities you were seeing online. Uh, I remember communities like Gaia Online, where you had these forums that also had different ways of subdividing their community, involving them, and having you know, games and positions and privileges and all of this stuff. Um, this is also a heady time for me because this is when I was also writing and uh, creating my first webcomic with some of the people I was playing Star Wars with. And so we were working in our own community. And that's what Galaxies really felt like. It felt like when you were building an outpost and getting a community together, the shop owners in that community started becoming people you knew. And you would work with and source from, and we would, you know, we'll get you, um, you know, uh, Tabana gas if you go and get us wheat or whatever. Um, and it made it feel alive. And the other thing that also happened was Jedi started to be known that there was a very long, very convoluted, extremely difficult path to stumbling upon a Jedi holocron following a path uh, meeting the ghost of Obi-Wan and finding your way to a lightsaber. Now, at the time, it was extremely rare um, to hear of a Jedi. There were, I, I'm pretty sure there were servers that didn't even have Jedi. It was that clunky. Um, and it had taken people so long to figure out how it all worked. Um, and the other thing about Jedi was, you if you needed a blue lightsaber, within a few minutes, there were Red Blade Inquisitors and Imperial Forces coming to kill you. Because the purge is on, you know, we, we didn't know the details of what that looked like yet. I mean, this is, you know, 2003, 2004, we haven't seen Order 66 go down yet. So we really don't know what the, you know, purge of the Jedi was like. Um, so it was just one of those things that we just, okay, it's standing Imperial law. If a Jedi is found, every force that can be marshaled goes and kills him. End of story. End of line. And so... Um, I remember my one friend uh, was uh, just always telling the tale of the time he saw a Jedi and a Sith. Um, he was out on his speeder, out on some ridge, checking on hoppers, and then this guy with a blue lightsaber pops, and then he sees a guy with a red lightsaber pop, they fight, 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 and then they dropped off a canyon. He ran over like the canyon, by the time he got there, they were gone, and it was one of those like, was that an hallucination? Did I actually see that? Because you have to remember that the most incredible thing about galaxies was if you saw a Jedi, that was a person. And there were ways to become Dark Jedi for the Empire. Um, so that Dark Jedi could have been an NPC, a non-player character, but was likely, just as likely to be a person as well. Um, and that was just such an insane idea that, you know, when you were looking at all these characters that you know, 85% of them are all real people, you know, people being controlled at home somewhere. But the problem was a lot of people complained and moaned that the Jedi was too hard, too rare. And the company also was dealing with the fact that people were starting to glom together in forums how to do it. So when you had a Jedi that was almost unheard of, across the entire game, you were starting to get to the point that there was a handful of them on most servers all the time, usually grouping together to deal with the in-game ways to kind of curb them. 
And there were other ideas that they got to that they never fully implemented. They did by the time of Outpost get some ideas going with the with if you were someone who had wronged someone and you could start putting out bounties. And if you put a bounty out on someone's head, um, bounty hunters could collect you and basically would be allowed to legally um, attack and kill you or, or attack and destroy your property. And the way that would work is usually you as a like outpost person would basically figure out what the grievance was, make a report to an admin or mod. And if they agreed, then the bounty went live. And this is when they had, you know, people running around uh, doing this stuff. And the idea was eventually they wanted to do it so that all crime in the server was managed by the community. That never really worked out because there's always bad actors who are abusing the game or using cheat systems to um, screw with everything. You know, there's a lot of reasons why that didn't go all the way. But it also was one of those things of a lot of the bounty hunters says like, ah, oh, it's not fun. There's not enough bounties. And the bounties that I do have are against people who are, you know, not cheating, but like, you know, there are people that are really high level because they've wronged someone because they thought they could get away with it. And, you know, bounty hunters are having to form these big parties to go after people and they don't always win. And, and again, people wanted to be Jedis and people were like, Hey, you know, you just brought out the ships and the ships aren't what we thought they were. You never got to like, um, when we got ships, they basically replaced, not replaced, you you could use them in addition to the intergalactic space buses. The problem with that was, like, we had designed our whole thing to be a freighter company. Well, okay, we had pulled together tremendous amounts of money and bought a freighter, a small one, um, and we had a freighter. And that was it. We had a freighter. We had essentially a big house or clubhouse we could work out of. But in the end it didn't really matter. It was only slightly cheaper to run your own ship once you paid for one um, to like use your own ship to get from place to place than it was to use the intergalactic space bus. So half of us were using the space bus anyway because, hey, if two of us have two places to go, we're not going to sit on the ship the whole time while X goes and does his mission and then I'll go do mine. Um, You know, we couldn't make it sense. Like the only way that would have made sense if they would have turned off the galactic transport systems or made them more cumbersome. And like I said, at this point, the game is getting a lot of flack for being for lack of a better term, too realistic, you know, um, that, you know, well, I'm just going to go use the galactic transports. Why would I pay for you guys to do me as a freighter? I'm like, well, because there's not enough contraband to justify stuff. If you're trying to be a legit company, not do smuggling, then there's really no justification for you taking that. It had so many great ideas to become a living, breathing world. And most of that kind of got subsumed. And later on, as things kept going, the world kept expanding. The the stories and chapters kept going forward. And you kept seeing more and more stuff and more and more story as, again, the conflict of the Civil War gets closer and closer to Empire Strikes Back. Until, you know, it's going to be an all-out war with them. And, again, my friends were starting to lose a little bit interest. Uh, EverQuest 2 came out, and so my friends went to do that. Um, My one friend got into uh, uh, Final Fantasy XI, came to the PC. He started playing with that. I was really busy running a webcomic and kind of a small business, so I stopped sort of working on really, really long-term commitment video games like that. And it just kind of pittered out for us. Um, it wouldn't matter because when a when a huge patch, I can't remember the name of it, um, 
but there's a huge patch where they came in and they sort of reworked everything and they said hey guess what if you've been playing the game we're going to rewrite all of your character stats and we're we're doing a completely different class system than we were doing it's not going to be based on professions anymore it's going to be based on these like these root classes that go into different skill trees and we're going to try and sort of relaunch star wars galaxy um, listening to the fans' complaints. And I remember we all checked in. We're like, well, hey, maybe, you know, it's been a year or two. Let's let's dive into this. And when they changed everything, it it made it into a Star Wars amusement park. You know, the classes were Force user, which could get to Jedi or Sith. So right from the word go, you have the Galactic Civil War where all the Jedi are dead, and now you can, from the starting menu, start becoming a Jedi. And it was... Not exactly easy to get all the way to getting robes and force powers and blue lightsabers, but from something that was almost unheard of slash impossible that they were myth and legend to a class felt like a cheat of this central concept. And then the other ones were you could play smuggler. That was a class, which didn't make sense to us because like, well, no, no, you're, you're either a pilot or you're a tradesman, like... You add up to a smuggler. You don't start out as a smuggler. And there was also bounty hunter and soldier. And you could just feel that they were responding to the way that other companies did where they were making it more an amusement park. It was, hey, I want to go be Han Solo. I want to go be Boba Fett. I want to go be, you know, an X-Wing pilot, whatever it was. Whereas Galaxies felt like an average world and you were just... I like to use the quote from uh, Django Fett. You were just a simple person making your way in the galaxy. Just a simple being trying to make it. And that felt that when you could get your hands on an X-Wing after the ship's expansion, or when you bought your first freighter, which took forever, it felt really, really, really meaningful because it felt very, very earned. And that's not exactly fun for everyone, but it's what it felt like to be in the Star Wars Galaxies universe. That gave it a little bit more lease on life, but Star Wars Galaxy started showing its age quite a bit by the time it was turning six, seven, eight. And so it was kind of going by the wayside. Sony Online Entertainment, which ran EverQuest, it ran uh, a couple other games. Homeworld was my, maybe one of theirs, but they ran Galaxies. And at the time, it seemed like Sony was going to um, be letting go of its license anyway. And they just didn't seem interested in building a Galaxies 2. There was a few chances of them trying to maybe update it, but they mostly put their weight behind re-engineering the current game to make it more adventure-y. Um, and that had limited success. It also, like I said, by the time we're, we're approaching, you know, the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3 is out, and computers are on new generations of graphics cards. We have kind of moved the needle forward on the current generations of of um, video games and Galaxies is looking really long in the tooth by the time it's turning like seven and eight. And so in, um, I think it was 2011 is when they pulled the plug on it. I remember it was around December because I remember I had a lot of time off. So I actually logged on to my account the day it all ended. Um, and it was just kind of cool because for like one heartbeat, everyone was just sort of like looking around going like, man, this is quite a thing. And it was most of us who would, you know, come and stick by. We were the old timers, the ones who remembered the way it was and remembered, you know, all the life we had in this galactic world. And it was it was kind of sweet. Um, you can go on YouTube and you can look at stuff from, you know, uh, the last days of Star Wars Galaxy. 
and kind of check it out and just kind of see the, the beautiful dream that was Star Wars Galaxies and how between the technology, the users, the world, just the way the world is, it was never going to be just a simulation of the Star Wars Galaxy with everybody living at different walks of life. It kind of had to become an action adventure you are the star kind of game, but for a while, that's not how I played it. That's not how a lot of people played it. And it was just vacationing and living another life out there in the Star Wars galaxy. I'll also say there are a couple of projects out there like uh, SWGEMU, so SWGEMU, um, and a couple of other ones out there that are running essentially servers of Star Wars Galaxy. So if you can get your hands on the original discs or on <clears throat> copies of those discs, uh, you can sort of go and play um, versions of Star Wars Galaxies um, out there on the internet. Though, I'll warn you, these people who create these servers usually have a very purposeful intent for what they're trying to simulate, what era of the game they're trying to simulate, what kind of culture they're trying to, to embed into the world. Um, and the game's pretty darn old. So if you're used to a lot of the quality of life stuff that came with like World of Warcraft and um, later games, you may not find it really your cup of tea. We had a lot less to do in 2003. So dumping dozens and dozens of hours into this felt a lot more reasonable then. Um, and like I said, there are definitely very different flavors of that game that exist in, and there is no one version because the time and place has passed. So I encourage you, if you're curious, check it out. I think it's best looked at by watching retrospectives and things like that on YouTube, but I'll never forget the different nights counting the moons of Corellia or standing on the top of the Masasi temples at Yavin 4 and kind of soaking in the digital air or all the different characters and places that I got to visit that made the galaxy far, far away feel a lot closer to who I was. And it was definitely a very worthwhile experience, even though I don't think I've really played a game like that, any of those online massive games since then. Um, but it's definitely a time and a place that I'm really glad that I had. So, all right. I think that's all I have to say. I had a lot more to say about it than I think I did. Um, and I hope you enjoyed it, and uh, we'll talk to you about a different topic right after this. the glow lamp i'm going to tell you a tale of my youth um i do want to do a little bit of the fireside chat here and i want to talk about something that i know ross won't have as much familiar with because he's significantly enough younger than me that he doesn't remember any of these times and i will quote obi-wan when i say before the empire before the dark times um star wars was an absolute gargantuan cultural phenomenon. From 1977 to 1983, Star Wars was everywhere and on everything, and every imaginable product could carry the logo 
Um, Ross and I have reminisced before, if you listen to, for instance, our Force Friday special from last year, um, you can hear about the idea of like what 1999 was like when Star Wars was fully back. It was everywhere. I mean, in 99, literally anything you could think of could be found with the Star Wars logo on it, whether it was toothpaste or T-shirts or hats, books, everything. But there was a huge period from what most people consider the mid-80s to the late 90s, where Star Wars was dormant, dark. Um, And that is the time where I grew up and where my fandom started. So I wanted to talk a little bit about what it was like before Star Wars was evergreen and here all the time to stay forever. Um, Because it was different. Uh, I was born in the uh, mid-80s, and so I became kind of like an aware child by the very tail, like my first memories from the tail end of the 80s and rolling through through the 90s. So basically, one could argue that Star Wars sort of went dormant right after Return of the Jedi. After the marketing blitz of Return of the Jedi was over, it sort of just ebbed down in a way. Um, home video was something that was still fairly out of reach for a lot of people for 83. Um, and it wouldn't be until realistically the end of the eighties, early nineties that most people would have access to home video. And so, you know, there wasn't anything to really restoke the fires of star Wars other outside of a handful of re-releases here and there. Star Wars tried to make transitions in the 80s to the small screen with shows like Star Wars Droids and Star Wars Ewoks, but by the time I was a kid, those had already run their course even in reruns. And so there just really wasn't a lot of Star Wars to be had. Um, Kenner tried to make a push of making a Star Wars action figure line with nothing else to co-market in 85 with the original Powers of the Force line, and that really didn't go anywhere. And so... From 85 until the 90s, there wasn't a lot of Star Wars going around. There's a few things. The Star Wars Encyclopedia got updated every once in a while. I've talked a lot about about, um, West End Games, uh, a uh, role-playing game company that was producing supplements for their Star Wars line of role-playing games the entire length of the 80s. Um, But that's more of a topic for another time. But the fires of Star Wars had definitely gone from you know, a burning bonfire to embers. Now, as legend goes, this sort of started changing in 1991. Timothy Zahn infamously said he wanted to write a Star Wars book and on a whim reached out to Lucas uh, licensing and said, hey, I would like to, you know, get a Star Wars book off the ground. And having not really been particularly approached by this before, they kind of decided what they might want to do. And they're like, well, what do you want to do? It's like, well, I want to tell kind of the tale of episode seven, like what happens after the the campfire on Endor? You know, what happens to the rebellion? You know, is the Empire gone? How long does the war last after that? Um, how does Luke continue his journey as a Jedi now that he's, you know, uh, lost all of his teachers or their ghosts? Um, does he get to commune with his father? All, all kinds of questions he thought would be fun to play around with and try and answer. And... After some negotiation, they decided to let him do it, and they started establishing the rules of how they were going to proceed in an expanded universe 
1991, you have Hair to the Empire is released, the first of the Thrawn trilogy, which is often cited as Star Wars coming out of its hibernation. Now, perhaps it's my age and my perspective, but it didn't feel that way. When Star Wars came out of hibernation in 1991, the book came out. I think it was a fairly good seller. It might have been a New York Times bestseller. But for the most part, I was probably too young to start reading a book as dense as Heir of the Empire. But that did start the book publishing companies looking for other ways to, to cash in on the Star Wars property. And Lucas Limited deciding like, well, Willow's not really making our future. So yeah, let's go and see what we can do by, by finding other ways to build our business. Um, Lucasfilm was, you know, doing fine, but, you know, they hadn't really found success outside of Indiana Jones and Star Wars in a big, huge, meaningful way. Uh, films that Lucas was involved with, like stuff like Tucker, A Man in His Dreams, uh, Willow, um, I guess to a lesser degree, Willow's pretty great, um, but I don't think it did very well. Uh, Howard the Duck, there was a lot of stuff in the 80s that Lucasfilm was involved with that didn't really go very far. So I think they were looking for ways to, to rework their current existing properties. And for me, I think my first contact with Star Wars was my family had a business that rented uh, videotapes as part of other things that we did. And so my brother and I grew up um, being able to usually every weekend rent a tape or two, and then we take them back to the store and we go back and forth like this for a while. And one tape that we kept renting enough that my parents just bought us a copy of it was um, Return of the Jedi. They bought that basically for my brother. And if you've listened to the podcast for any length of time, you've heard that I we, we wore that tape out. Um, we watched the CBS uh, home video release of Star Wars Return of the Jedi at least, I don't know, six, seven billion times. Um, to the point that Return of the Jedi will always be my like least favorite Star Wars, not because it's bad, but because I can't see it objectively anymore. I've seen it too many times. And most of the imagery in Return of the Jedi does very little for me because I saw it so many more times than anything else. So from my perspective, there was Return of the Jedi. And that was the only movie I knew. I, I really honestly at that age didn't know there were other movies. Because we didn't have them. The store either didn't carry them, my brother never wanted to rent them, or I never saw them when I was picking out, you know, the Care Bears movie or whatever thing was probably more age-appropriate for me. So, for me, Star Wars came back to life when my parents thought it would be a good idea for my brother and I to have a computer in the common rooms that we could access so we stopped messing with their computers. Um... And so we got sort of a family computer that, of course, about nine seconds into owning it, we wanted to put games on it because that's what you do with a computer. And we started looking at getting um, games for it because it was a computer that came with a CD-ROM and that was still pretty special at the time. Um, not super uncommon, but uncommon enough. And one of the games that my parents got because they thought it would be safe was a game called X-Wing, Star Wars X-Wing. And I thought that was so cool because you could fight like they did in the Battle of Endor. There are X-Wings, Y-Wings, A-Wings with an expansion, B-Wings, and you could pilot them. And my dad thought it was great for us because he saw it as kind of like a flight simulator. My dad was always really into aviation, and I am too. Um, and, you know, it's it, you could argue that was my path to my pilot's license was learning how to fly a uh, T-65 X-Wing. 
But we started doing those, and that's when Star Wars got really hooked into my veins. My brother would eventually grow kind of out of Star Wars. He still likes it, but not he's not making a Star Wars podcast like I am. Um, but I remember that's when Christmases and birthdays started being about Star Wars. I would get books like Tales of the Bounty Hunters, which would get me so into the idea of these you know, mercenaries living at the edge of the galaxy. And I remember very specifically, like, I know who Bo- knew who Boba Fett was, and I may have even read his book before I ever saw a frame of Empire. Because it would be during those times, places like USA Networks um, and maybe TNT would would play on, on cable. Usually during the holidays, they would play the original trilogy. And in fits and spurts, I saw all of um, Empire Strikes Back running right through it with commercials um, somewhere around it's probably like 93, 94. Um, and then I would see um, New Hope in bits and pieces. And I don't think I saw all of New Hope together in one sitting all, all the way through until I got the THX copies, which would come out in like 95, 96. Um, so it was like I knew what was going on in New Hope, even if I didn't really know the movie, I hadn't watched it all at the same time. Now, this is probably going to sound completely bewildering to uh, younger, more modern audiences because um, it used to be that you would tune the TV to whatever it was and it would be on and you'd watch that or you change to another channel and there would be commercial breaks and during a commercial break, you might want to change to a different channel. So it was a much more spastic. It's like going onto Twitch and just looking at all of the, the threads and just dipping in here and there. So it wasn't really unheard of that you had seen chunks of movies, but maybe not all of them. And it was fairly rare unless you planned on it. You got your TV guide, you looked at when it was going to play, or you had taped it to see the beginnings of stuff. There are movies that until the DVD era, I probably didn't see the first 20 minutes of that I had seen all the rest of it just because, you know, you catch a cool car chase and then you stop on that channel and you watch the rest of the movie and you try to, by context clues, figure out what's going on, which is... Kind of strange to think of now since everything's on demand and easy to get through streaming services or purchase. Um, it was a very different world. And um, I've mentioned on the show before that there are so many iconic scenes of Star Wars that are burned in my mind of exactly when the commercial break would happen. When the pauses would be where someone would say, ah, we'll cut it here and add two minutes of commercials before we go back. Um, that's just the way that we we had Star Wars. Um And I remember the other thing with toys was uh, either right around the same time or maybe a little bit earlier, Micro Machines um, by Galoob was starting to produce little mini ships. And remembering that my Star Wars kind of starts with like X-Wing, ships were really important to me. I was memorizing all of the different types and they had quad razor cannons and those were fire linked and they had their strike foils or S foils that would open and close on the X-Wings and they had proton torpedo launchers and they were dorsal based and there was one on the port and one on the starboard. I was learning all this dumb terminology like a sponge around made up fantasy ships. Um, and so by the time you get to the mid nineties, I had a bunch of micro machines. I had some of the play sets that came with them in 1995. Uh, I remember late in 1995, um, getting some of the powers of the force figures that had just come out. Uh, Kenner had kind of flopped as a business in between. I think their last big thing was the 1989 Batman movie. They had made the figures for that. And somewhere right around there, they got absorbed by Hasbro. 
And in 95, you started getting these figures, some of which were literally just kind of out of the same molds with modern manufacturing from the Kenner line and some that were re-sculpts like famously Luke Skywalker was built more like He-Man. He had a Dorito body, basically very, you know, triangular, wide at the top, narrow at the waist. Um, and the other thing I remember was my figures, if I had kept them, were fairly good collector's items because I had first runs ones where the lightsabers were almost as tall as the action figures, which was grossly too tall for, you know, the way that they were, um, as far as like to scale. Um, and I got into that and I got, um, a TIE fighter and an X-Wing, um, over a Christmas and birthday. I have a, I have an early in the year birthday. So like Christmas, like my birthday was always like Christmas delayed. It was like one or two presents were held from the Christmas hoard and they would be my main birthday present, um, which worked out for me. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome to be getting into Star Wars. And like I said, there were more books. So I was getting the technical manuals, um, which had all kinds of blueprints and just the perfect things that, you know, a, a um, preteen kid was super into uh, in the mid to late 90s. And it was just strange because I don't think I had a friend who was into Star Wars until maybe... 96, 90, well, maybe 95. Um, but Star Wars is the thing that I had and I loved it. And my parents liked Star Wars. My dad liked Star Wars, but he wasn't into Star Wars. My dad was more into Star Trek. And so I was getting that from him. Um, and my uh, mom was getting me all into like Turner classic movie kind of stuff, like watching mid-century comedies and um, dramas and uh, Cary Grant movies and Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn's fit flicks, that kind of stuff. Um, so none of my parents really were quote unquote encouraging the Star Wars thing. The closest I had was my brother who was again, very into Star Wars until he started getting towards my brother, significantly older than me. He started getting, you know, towards the end of middle school, early high school. And he was starting to be very like Star Wars. Is okay. But it's not cool anymore. You know? So that was something I was, kind of dealing with. So I just love Star Wars. And it wasn't until I found some friends that I started going like Star Wars is like maybe my favorite thing. And I remember in like, uh, uh, early middle school, I did a biography. I read the entire book Skywalking, which was a biography of George Lucas and about, you know, his car crash and what happened to him. I, I think we'll eventually probably talk about that tale about the biography of the maker um, but he had a really interesting path to where he was. And that's kind of eventually what got me to choose my profession. Um, I, um, I went to school and was trained as a film editor. That was everything I want to do is I wanted to make movies. I wanted to make these fantastic, wonderful places of my imagination. I wanted to be party to making them happen. And I definitely had a better hand at, um, editing than any other skill. I had played around with cameras. I had worked on prop making. I had worked on even light costuming. I've always been a little bit of a maker. And so I did a lot of that stuff. But at the end of the day, it was cutting the story together and to a lesser degree writing them that I really, really enjoyed. And I would say that, to be honest, I think the dark times of Star Wars where I remember everyone around me started talking about it and thinking it was cool, more begins in 1997. So somewhere between there, like I said, 95, 96, you have the THX copies of Star Wars. So a home video release where they went back and they cleaned up 
all of the movies. They made them um, with the THX process. They basically went in and kind of recolorized them. They got rid of scratches, dents, dust out of the prints. They um, expanded and tuned the sound. And they also, which was a bewildering thing at the time, they released things like widescreen versions of them. So if you had a custom relatively custom widescreen television, which some really, really big film nerds would have in their home theaters, which were these 16 by nine televisions, you could go get that. And I remember learning that there was parts of Star Wars I wasn't seeing when we were at a outlet store and I saw one of these TVs hooked up to like a Bose surround sound that they were selling like home theater equipment and just realizing like, wait, 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 why, why does this have these black lines on it? And that's when I learned about letterboxing and about that kind of stuff. And I would say 1997 is when the world woke up because 1997 is when you have the special editions are re-released to theaters. So for the first time in maybe probably at that point, 10-ish years, a wide, big re-release of the Star Wars movie were coming out and they were really going back and fixing it. It wasn't THX just cleaning it up. They wanted to add and smooth out some stuff that George had been thinking about. Little did most people know at the time, myself surely didn't know, that this was all a run-up. This was an experiment to get ready for the prequels. They were adding, you know, Jabba the Hutt to the scene to see what a CGI character looked like because they were plotting one for the new movies that were in pre-production in 96, 97, 98. Um... And, you know, 97, you have that burst open and people are celebrating the 20th anniversary of Star Wars and the bookstores are full of, you know, um, all kinds of Star Wars stuff. I remember the first journal I kept was a two, you know, a 20th anniversary Star Wars empty, you know, letter lined notebook uh, and Star Wars started being everywhere. And by the time you roll all the way to 1999, there are tons of games. There are tons of Dark Horse comics, which started in the early-ish 90s, like 94, I think, is maybe when some of those early Dark Horse comics, I got my hands on all the Knights Old Republic stuff. There were Star Wars merchandise. There were usually a chunk of an aisle in every toy store was dedicated to Star Wars already. Uh, the Power of the Force figures were going very, very strong and had even got into some interesting things like the Shadow of the Empire, you know, cross-media property with novels, CDs, and books, um, and just Star Wars was everywhere. And from 1999 on, we live in the era we do now. Star Wars is an evergreen property that's constantly reinventing itself and constantly bringing new experiences to that galaxy far, far away. We are going to get, you know, a TV show in the case of The Mandalorian and can perceivably have one or two TV shows every year like we did with The Mandalorian and Resistance and Clone Wars and Rebels and Star Wars trilogy movies, which would just cl close this trilogy, but eventually there'll probably be another trilogy. And we're doing Star Wars stories like Rogue One and Solo. And we have, you know, Star Wars video games are back with Fallen Order. We have Battlefront 2 for an online, you know, living experience. And that's just closing down, probably setting the stage for a replacement for it in the next couple of years. You know, the Del Rey machine is just churning out books all the time, whether it's the Star Wars visual dictionaries or cross sections or Star Wars um, novels, uh, all the canon novels. There's tons of the Legends novels still in print, even though they don't quote unquote count anymore. The expanded universe of Star Wars is bigger than it's ever been, 
And it's kind of bewildering to remember that there was a time and the time I grew up with where Star Wars was a little tiny glowing ember of what it once was. And most people weren't paying attention to it. Star Wars was over in 83 and all the rest of it was the momentum burning out. And it wouldn't be until the 90s started getting some interest and toys and merchandise and books would keep coming which would make it by the middle of the 90s, George Lucas kind of stroking his beard and thinking, well, maybe we can bring Star Wars back. Maybe it's time to tell those tales. The technology's changed enough. And then by the time you get to the prequels, Star Wars will be with us always. There will always be a new generation of Star Wars fans being minted. And I'm very glad that we lived then um, because the dark times were strange and it was hard to reach for scraps. So when you're out there in the galaxy and you're listening to a Star Wars podcast on demand for free, or you're listening to uh, a Star Wars movie from your Disney Plus subscription, or you're dusting off your Blu-rays, or you're just thinking about where the future lies for the many different properties Star Wars has yet to produce, or you're getting excited about the High Republic and a brand new extended universe style foray into the galaxy where we're building a new era that's exclusive to the publishers. All of that stuff used to not be here, and it was an amazing journey to go from starting in such a small place to having an all-you-can-eat buffet of Star Wars anytime I want it. So that's just my little story, and um, yeah, I hope you found it interesting, and uh, we're going to wrap up right after this. So we bring another Star Wars all in to an end. You know, the last segment I said, we will be back. Like we, I guess I mean that in the royal sense because it's just me. Um, Ross is out of town right now and there wasn't a way for us to really get a remote um, recording session figured out. Um, so thank you again for joining with me. I, we pulled the ripcord on my emergency episode not that long ago, but seem, people seem to like that. So um, uh, feel free to go and take a listen to that if you're not sick of hearing me drone on. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, the, the problem with figuring out these emergency episodes is always trying to figure out a topic where I don't think Ross has much to contribute or is not all that interesting contributing. So a, uh, Star Wars Galaxy, a online role-playing game he's never played and talking about my own upbringing in the dark times of Star Wars, a time where he was scantily alive uh yeah those both qualify um but i i don't know how i'm not sure how many more you know i say that like i'm like i'm not sure how many more of these i could do i'm like i don't know i've seen our list of topics that ross and i want to go over or have promised and it's like it it keeps getting further and further out from where we are now we have plenty of more topics to go over and we still haven't got to my permacrete episode i want to talk about permacrete uh, maybe that'll be one of my emergency episodes because I know Ross does not want to talk about permacrete. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's been a blast. Um, I hope everyone's safe out there. Um, it's still weird living in 
the COVID quarantine, which is where we're still recording this. Um, it must sound so strange to be far in the future and listening to, oh, remember the Great Scare of 2020? Or how do I know? Or remember 2020, the beginning of the end? I mean, who knows what the future holds, but I'm assuming that the world will be a different place a year from now than it is now um, in many different ways. So, um, yeah, it's it's strange making all this content. Um, I know friends who are barely listening to their podcasts. We've kind of seen it in our own numbers that the podcasts are down a little bit because no one has their commutes. No one has a reason to kind of, you know, learn or read you know, hear something in their ears while they're going to work. So there's a little less podcasting going around. Whereas ironically, I swear I've been listening to more podcasts because I've only been at home and jogging and walking. And that's all I want to do is fill my ear holes with something. So if I'm filling your ear holes and you're having a good time and you're really enjoying it, I do hope that you will take a look and uh, join us and let us know what's going on. You know, we're all feeling isolated. So uh, I'd appreciate anyone who can hop on social media. Uh, you can check us all out at uh, anchor.fm slash S-W-A-I, Sway. Um, that's uh, where our podcast is hosted. That's also where you can drop us a voicemail if you want to. Um, the other thing I'll also mention is we are active on a couple social medias, but to be realistic, the only one that really seems to be one we check enough and people engage enough is our Twitter. You can find us at Star Wars All In. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you out there. So um, for this episode, I'm Mac. And until we see you next Wednesday... May the force be with you. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2020.